Hello and welcome to this week's Therapy for Me and I'm going to start with a bit of an extended intro um, only because a couple of things have come to me and I want to kind of put them in the perfect place to put them in is actually now. Um, TFM as well as being therapy for me and a chance for me to reflect and process and do all of, of those things is often uh, there's two things that that make it not stressful but there's two things that that uh, are the bit that needs to come together before I can even hit go on a microphone, which ultimately determines when I actually record this. Um, and sometimes the pressure of that um, leads to moments of inspiration and you end up with a piece of content that you didn't expect to get. But the two things that you need before you start are, or I need before I start, is I need the experiences of the week. I need things to have force their way through um, the normal kind of week for me to have something to talk about. Now, you've probably worked out by now I can pretty much talk about anything, and I, and I kind of can, but I need I need those things to have prodded me enough and, and to have forced the way to the surface. And often it takes that, that kind of almost sitting here where I am at the moment, waiting to start recording for everything to... To, to put itself into some form of order to, you know, to work properly. And then the second thing you need is, um, before it can actually go out, is I need the song reference. Um, and the idea of starting with a song title to use for the episode title is is one I, I really adore. But the problem is, as we get 200 plus episodes in, it's getting harder and harder to come up with those and not retrace old ground particularly because a lot of the things I find myself coming back to means that you want to use the same song titles again so those are the, the two things before we start that that need to be they, they've they've got to be there everything's got to be sorted um, and and that's the bit that whilst the whole process of this is not to be stressful that's the bit that kind of often you're waiting for and I'm waiting for and the way my brain works is when I know I've got something to do I have to wait, almost wait for everything to be ready before I can start and once that everything's ready the process of doing is quite easy but the bit I can't I struggle to do is force it um, and so I've often had work weeks where I've said look I, I don't know what I'm going to cover this week because everything's not quite worked its way through interestingly it's all worked its way through at the last minute again this morning and what it means is one thing I was going to talk about potentially hasn't now fitted into the mix but I'm going to mention it now anyway which is that I got um, a notification on Strava that came up the other day that a friend of mine was trying to uh, increase her running stamina she's she's been running for um, a few months now I don't know exactly how long six months eight months whatever and uh, she's done couch to 5k and she's doing park runs and she's doing she's doing you know really getting something from running which is great um but she's trying to increase the stamina so she was going on the treadmill and she was trying to run slower and she was using therapy for me as a way to try and as a kind of a uh, an accompaniment to try and run slower and I'm not quite sure how I feel about that uh, I like the idea of being used for improvement but the idea that you would listen to this in an effort to calm and slow you down seems a little bit counterintuitive to the way I normally attack uh, my delivery and some of the things that I talk about. So I'm looking forward to talking to her about it next time I get a chance. But I was, I, I, I was, I'm obviously pleased to be part of a program that's of self improvement, but a little bit, you know, 
bizarre that it should be about slowing down your running pace. Anyway, uh, we'll crack on with a little bit of that twangy guitar. <laughs> I'm going to have to mention Doctor Who again, and I'm going to have to mention Doctor Who again because the second of the three David Tennant episodes uh, last Saturday is is just incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, it's a double header uh, with him and Catherine Tate, and it. I, I, if you can get it, if you're in the UK and you can get it then watch last week's Doctor Who because it is so creative and so inventive and so beautifully put together. Um, and the script is is red hot. The writing is superb. Russell T. Davis really is uh, somebody who was born to write Doctor Who. Uh, and that doesn't mean that he shouldn't have done all the other things that he, he did, but he was born to write Doctor Who. Um, and it's just... It's just off the charts good. It, it just is. As a standalone thing, it's... And yes, it's got lots of other references in there and it's nice that it talks to other parts of the story and, and links in. And there's there's some beautiful, beautiful um, bits, of, bits of, of, of dialogue. But just the thing in of itself just has to be watched. Um, I know we're, we're heading up to the third one and we're going to do a transition and we're going to move into the new phase and all of which I'm really looking forward to. But if if you want to see something at its very best, and there's bits of Doctor Who over the, the ever since the reboot that have that have been incredibly good television, incredibly good television, um, then then this is up there. Last week's is absolutely up there. So if you just get a chance, click on that iPlayer button. If you can do it. Just, just go and and give yourself an hour to watch that, and tell me that's not first-rate drama. Tuesday, I was doom scrolling on X, um, formerly Twitter, uh, which is nothing like as much fun as it used to be because a lot of people have left that platform, and and for all the right reasons, and. If I had found a way, and I haven't really got my head around Mastodon yet, if I'd found a way of of replicating what I used to enjoy on Twitter somewhere else, I would be doing it somewhere else. But it threw up one of those things that it tends to throw up every once in a while that I've... I don't know if I'm... I haven't got enough information to talk about properly. So I, I'm talking about the clip I saw at Totally at Face Value. Um but I'm not surprised by what I saw, even though I don't really understand why. The DWP, uh, Department for Work and Pensions, has been working on anti-fraud legislation for quite a while, and th- th- to which, to be fair, is heartening that, that actually a part of this government is taking some interest in fraud and money that's been badly spent, though I, don't, I, th- I, th- I find it somewhat ironic that we can talk about this issue, but we can't talk about... PPE or contracts that were thrown out all the way through um, the the COVID uh, pandemic, but we'll leave that to to one side. And uh, it was a a clip of uh, a Labour uh, MP Stephen Timms talking in a very sparsely populated debate about something that the DWP was bringing forward. And the bit where I'm a bit unclear is exactly 
what they were trying to do within the course of this debate and whether it was something that was being pushed through into into you know law legislation process without without the normal common scrutiny um but it's around um the ability of the dwp to access people's bank account details and obviously the reason to access access detail, details is to ensure that money isn't being claimed fraudulently the problem with it is it's the broad stroke it's the broad sweep of powers that dwp wants to grant itself uh, that effectively they want to 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 put at the the minister's disposal because by the sound of things it talks to the allowance for the government or for the department to effectively access anybody's bank account who has any form of state benefit. Now, whilst I get that some benefits are means-tested, um, one of those that isn't means-tested, other than ensuring that you have paid the requisite amount in, is the state pension scheme. And the state pension scheme is included in this mix of um, of benefits that allow the DWP to... To, to go rooting around. Um, child benefit's another one. Now, child benefit is means tested, but it's a very, very simple testing. And it should be it should be something that's easily picked up within PAYE um, calculations. It should be through the National Insurance and the PAYE, you know, schemes and processes. That should that should be enough to satisfy the whole child benefit um, thing. Uh, and we could get into a debate about child benefit and whether it should be means tested or not. And and again, that's not one for today. Um, but the thing about a state pension is a state pension is a relatively simple concept that you pay in. And if you pay into the requisite level, you take out and you take out at a predetermined level that's the same for everybody. Everybody or a vast majority of the population will qualify for a state pension. So essentially what you're saying is that at a point in time when you hit the age of 65, 66, 67, whenever you start um, being paid this, that you are free game for your bank account to be looked into on the basis of something that isn't really real. And this is, and this is where we go back to sledgehammer politics again. And we go back to things like the voter ID um, bill in regards to voter fraud, which is this this um, piece of legislation that is actually uh, disenfranchising voters to solve a problem that doesn't really exist. Now, I'm not saying that the fraud problem doesn't exist. I just don't know if it exists necessarily in, in regard to the state pension. So why are government departments giving themselves broad powers, trying to grab broad powers to allow them to do things that to be fair they say they're not going to going to use but then that's what an authoritarian regime would say and I'm 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 not going to go full Hugh Grant here and compare us with 1930s Germany but that is what those kind of regimes do <laughs> I'm going to talk about Thea Gilmore, and you'll probably be thinking, particularly if you've listened to this all the way through, it's December, he's going to mention Thea Gilmore again, which means he's going to talk about winter albums, which means he's going to talk about Strange Communion. 
And I'm not going to do that. But if you haven't listened to Strange Communion yet, then go and please listen to Strange Communion because it is absolutely incredible as a Christmas album, winter album, whatever you want to call them. I'm going to talk about Thea Gilmore because I I self-regulated and didn't put Strange Communion on this week. So I listened to a couple of other albums and I listened to Small World Turning, which is the album before last. And a song that I've always liked at the beginning of uh, the album is called Cut Slow Walls. And I did the thing that I should do more often, which is I went and found out a little bit more about what the song is talking about. And I think it's hugely relevant, um, particularly when we're talking about division. And I think so much of TFM ultimately goes around my concerns around division around where we are as a as a, a nation where we are globally and the the politics of the time which which seeks to divide and that is not necessarily any different to the politics of bygone ages but I don't understand how we're seeking to divide in 2023 um and it and it got me on to it, it got me on to this uh, this cutslow walls um topic which is the second track on the album absolutely brilliant um but refers to a wall that was built in Oxford and it was built by a housing developer who was concerned that this new suburban housing development he'd put up this middle class housing development that he'd put up sat next to a council estate and he was concerned that because it was effectively next to what he classified as as slums effectively that it would it would stop or it would impact on the selling of these homes that he was developing so he put this two meter wall up with spikes on top and it and it did what exactly what the the berlin wall would do it it split communities down the middle um and it instantly created a divide which you expect it would do um oxford council against advice in the mid-30s bulldozed it down um, because of of all the malcontent and what they thought it was doing to the community, only to find that a judge on the back of the um, developer suing land sided with the developer and they had to rebuild it. Um, so it, it it stayed in place until the late fifties, and in the mid fifties, Oxford Council were able to take on uh, the powers for compulsory repurchase and were able to effectively purchase the land and knock the wall down which had split a community for the however many years you know 20 30 years that it had been in in place and this song talks about that and the song led me to the article and I'm really pleased that it it did um but it made me stop and think about the fact that I you listen to so much stuff and yet you don't necessarily follow up on the references now that's a that's not an oblique reference, that was a really direct reference, and it didn't take much searching to find out, but I've been listening to that song for and that album for a few years now and still hadn't followed it down. So I've resisted the temptation to use it as the as the title for the episode, um, but I am going to put a link to the song and the article in the notes. Um, and it then took me to the amazing Ted Lasso clip, and I haven't watched Ted Lasso, and um, my brother-in-law keeps telling me to watch it. And I need to sign up for Apple TV so I can watch Ted Lasso. But there's a wonderful Ted Lasso clip where he's playing darts. Um, and it, it references a Walt Whitman clip 
that you should be curious, not judgmental. And you should. So this is an example of that. And 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 I've only just tied the two things together now. It wasn't a it wasn't a predetermined example of that, but be curious. Listen, hear something, and you've got you've got everything you need to be curious at your fingertips. So be curious. Thursday. I'm going to leave you with a couple of political things. One, um, I saw a, a, a tweet, uh, and there'll always be tweets to me because I don't know what else they are under X, um, that Sam Coates from Sky put out saying that the chances of a January election, he thought, were rising rapidly. But he was talking about January 2025. And the latest the election can be, I believe, is the 28th of January 2025. And his argument was that he thinks the Conservatives will potentially try and change their leader again and potentially try and change their leader again in the new year. And that if that's the case, the obvious thing would be for any new leader to give themselves as long as possible to do, to do the job that they've wanted for such a long time and manipulated and cajoled and done whatever they needed to do to get, because that's how you get the prime ministership of the UK these days. Um, it's a it's a it's a hell of a load of sly, calculated behaviour, uh, and a hell of a load of upset, and a hell of a load of taking the country on a really really terrible um, trip to get there. Um, so he thought that do you know what? If there's a change of leadership in in the early early part of 2024, there's a very good chance that we'll end up with an election um, as late as it can possibly be. Now, there's a lovely exchange between him and Sophie Ridge where they're talking about it and she thinks the election's going to be early 2024 and that Sunak will ultimately take the country um, to election because because the party is so divided. And this has been picked up by Ladbrokes now who are who are who have who are putting odds on the Sophie side versus the, the Sam side. And it's a it, it, there's a little bit of humor in this. But it's gallows humour because at the end of the day, can any of us honestly, honestly go another year of this car crash of a government? Friday. Right, I'm going to talk about Rwanda, then I'm going to have a cup of tea. You probably hear in my voice that uh, it's a bit croaky and I, I need... I need my my morning uh, um, libation. Um, I don't even know if that's the right word, but I'll go with it. What the hell? Um, I've got to talk about Rwanda, but I'm not going to talk about Rwanda in the way you think I'm going to talk about Rwanda. There's been a lot of talk about the policy, um, and there's, there's a lot that I find distasteful with a particular policy, and a lot I find distasteful with the way that we're attacking the immigration problem. I haven't even decided if I think it's an immigration problem yet or not, but again, leave that to one side. What's come out this week, and I think we should be talking about this, and it's in the context of how much this policy is costing. And the first thing, as far as I understand from uh, listening to a correspondent on this, Lizzie Dearden, is that the money that we're talking about, the $290 million that is now being talked about as the cost of the policy isn't even the cost of the policy. We're putting a load of money into on the ground into Rwanda for all manner of things, but we're not actually paying for the immigration policy. So the two things aren't linked. The money that's going in is going in effectively as foreign aid. 
um, and he's and he's being used to grease the wheels of this particular policy. But I think something like twenty million of the money that's been allocated so far is actually to set up the processes required to use Rwanda as a uh, as a state to send people uh, uh, claiming for refugee status. Uh, and the rest of the money ultimately stays with Rwanda, whatever happens. So a quarter, you know, 250 million, quarter of a billion so far is going into Rwanda for structural aid, effectively, to improve, um, you know, areas of that country. That's not being talked about and probably should. Um, I understand why these things are there. Lots of government expenditure on foreign things is often symbolic, but... That money isn't coming back. Whatever we might think, that other money, that money isn't coming back. And what she was saying was, the talk amongst um, the, um, the the civil servants is that this this is a blank check policy because what's going to happen is the 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 UK is guaranteed to pay for the costs of anybody they send there for five years, including the costs of getting there. So all the costs of moving that individual through the UK for how long it takes to make the decision to then move them to Rwanda, to then effectively pay for them for five years in Rwanda, because Rwanda is offering them status, but he's not but he's not picking up the bill for the first five years. And there's no guarantee those people will still be there after five years, because if you get refugee status in Rwanda, you could go and live there for five years. You could still then try and go somewhere else at that point. But for five years, they will be paid, and that will be on a person-by-person basis. So forget the 290 million we're hearing about because very little of that is actually going to pay for this policy. That's going as a sweetener, effectively. Um, then we're on to paying a, a pay-as-you-go policy for refugee people, or not refugee, people wanting to claim refugee status as a, a resettlement um, processing cost. Now... What that then took me to, which again, I think we need to be talking about within the context of whether this is or isn't a good plan, rather than it being the the the, the populist approach that it is, let's break down the policy and just see if the policy holds water, is the fact that when this policy was signed through by Priti Patel at the time, it had to go through uh, under ministerial advisement because... In reality, when the permanent secretary of the department looked at it, he didn't, he couldn't satisfy himself that it actually was value for money. And because of that, he had to ask the home secretary effectively to direct him to do that policy because in the checks and balances he would need to do, um, as, as far as his, his role as a as civil servant, as a public servant was concerned, he couldn't satisfy himself. So there's a letter on the government website that was from Michael Rycroft to Priti Patel on the 16th of April 2022. And I'm just going to read you a section of that, which talks to the advice he's received around the feasibility of the project, the proposal itself. The accounting officer advice that I have received comprises a rigorous assessment of the regularity, propriety, feasibility and value for money of this policy, drawing on legal policy and operational expertise. This advice highlights the uncertainty surrounding the value for money of the proposal. 
I recognise that, despite the high cost of this policy, there are potentially significant savings to be realised from deterring people entering the UK illegally. Value for money of this policy is dependent on it being effective as a deterrent. Evidence of a deterrent effect is highly uncertain and cannot be quantified with sufficient certainty to provide me with the necessary level of assurance over value for money. I do not believe sufficient evidence can be obtained to demonstrate that the policy will have a deterrent effect significant enough to make the policy value for money. This does not mean that the MEDP cannot have the appropriate deterrent effect, just that, it, just that there is not sufficient evidence for me to conclude that it will. Therefore, I will require your written instruction to proceed. I consider it entirely appropriate for you to make a judgment to proceed in the light of the illegal immigration challenge the country is facing. I will, of course, follow this direction and ensure that the Department continues to support the implementation of this policy to the very best of our abilities. So there you are. There you are. That's a letter on public record from the senior civil servant in that department about the immigration bill, the Rwanda policy, basically saying, yes, I understand it can be a deterrent, but I can't find any measure that suggests it's going to work as a deterrent that actually stands the test of being value for money. So we don't even know if it's going to, as a deterrent, be worth it. I'm quite pleased I found that and I'm quite pleased because it helps me understand this a little bit for more and understand it for what it is. It's very easy to throw arguments at this thing and say it's absolutely a populist move. What tends to lend credence to that particular view is that often things that are populist don't stand up to any form of scrutiny and are based on a perceived effect and it seems like this one maybe, well, as far as the civil service were concerned, was based on a perceived effect. Anyway, it's a different way of thinking about it. Hopefully it'll give you pause for thought uh, or, or, or not, d depending on what you think of this particular plan. But I have to then question where we are with the media that things like that letter, which is a public record, aren't being talked about more. Um, have a good week. Uh, I hope you have a pleasant weekend. Um, I don't think we'll be playing football because of all the rain. Um, but I am hoping to get over to Liverpool for a gig on Saturday night. So we'll see how it goes. In the meantime, stay safe and take care. <laughs>